Hey listeners, uh, just a quick heads up about this episode. We had a small mic issue throughout two thirds of it. I mean, there's like a little snafu. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna try and make it sound as best as I can before getting it out to you guys, but just wanted to give you a heads up. You might notice a change, maybe two thirds of the way through the episode. Uh, you just know. Just turn us up a little bit yeah. for the first two thirds, and then at the end, bring her back down. Bring her back down. You know, that change, it's a natural part of life. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much. Here's the episode. How are you? I'm good. You know what, Gavin? Um, a Star is Born is out. It is. And did the, you did you watch that star be birthed? Oh, I was there at 7 p.m. for like premiere night. There was two rows of gays. We bought two full rows. And a lot of yelling involved in the movie on our end. Just like, oh, okay. Just a lot of the like, movie itself is real quiet. Yeah, the movie. Real sh- sh- I was just like clutching my boyfriend's arm, like every iconic moment. And there are many. And I was just like, and you know what? I will say, I'm so glad we got to watch um, Cher's movies um, in, pretty recently because I fully think Lady Gaga is in her Cher um, Moonstruck era of her career. And it's a beautiful there, thing to there, there was a, a rumor yesterday, and I've not seen it followed up on, mm-hmm. about the fact that she was going to play the role of Funny Girl on Broadway. I know. And I, I believe. I mean... It's just a rumor right now, from what I've heard, but, like... Let monsters just, reign. Yeah, she's just doing a Babs thing. She's yeah. At the moment, she's in her Babs stage. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, it's... I mean, we're not here to talk about Lady Gaga no, and but, born. but Babs is a good transition point, because oh, she was in a movie with our current subject. Yes! Who yes. is Robert Redford. Robert Redford. Um, first of all, hi, everyone. We're the Mixed Reviews. We are the Mixed Reviews. Oh, yeah, I guess we should get that out of the way. I'm Gavin. I'm Louie, and we're a podcast about movies where we pick a subject, we take two or three weeks, um, <laughs> see as many movies as we can, and then we just, like, go in, dissect it. Listen, Redford was a hard subject. Redford was a hard subject. So, I, I mean, if we take an extra week, you know, it's not that we're resting on our laurels. No. We're trying to bring you the best show possible. I'm, especially for Daddy Redford. Exactly. Okay, guys, that's like a 40-plus year career, like, of lots of things. Yes, we accept tips in the form of uh, iTunes reviews, mm-hmm. so, yeah. I accept tips in forms of, like, um, Domino's pizza <laughs> gift cards, um, what else, like, a blow kiss. <laughs> I'll take that, too. Um, before we get into this um, episode, though, I want to take a rewind back to the last episode where we talked about Jennifer Garner who I still... It's just such a delight on Jay Instagram. Garns. Jay Garns. such delight. Um, and uh, her, her show is, is premiering now already, so like camping. Is it out on Sunday? I think so. So hey, I'm by excited. the time this episode goes up, it should be out. So. Catch it. Um, we asked you guys to go onto Twitter and vote for what your favorite uh, Jennifer Garner movie, and um, this is so cute. One person voted for Love, Simon, and you know what? I just want you to know that I see you, I feel you, Moving on. Um, it was actually pretty close. Juno came in at 46% and 13 Going On 30, both of our picks, came out at 51%. It's funny. There was a time where 13 Going On 30 was just decimating the field. Yeah. Um, what is the one movie that I put in there that didn't get any votes? Dallas it's Buyers Club. Just Dallas Buyers Club, and I just want to say, you're right. That's a correct. You're correct. That's a correct. Yeah. Um, you know, I want yeah. a better Oscar moment for her. Yeah. Than that. Ab- absolutely. 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 Um so that's Jennifer Garner. We love her. We stand. Um, but now we're moving into 
Robert Redford. Robert Redford. Actual Hollywood, like, royalty. Now, this, uh, on top of mentioning that it's difficult, one of the things that's interesting about trying to do Robert Redford as well is he's sort of the last of that old Hollywood guard who really kept his private life private. He is, like, the proto, like, golden boy of Hollywood, and I think... I mean, and first of all, he's a great human being, and this isn't by no means me shading him, but, like, he has a ton of privilege um, as far as, I mean, he's just, like, a gorgeous man who was able to parlay his, like, uh... You know, he's very Louis good. Louis laughing because there's something in my drink right now. <laughs> Anyways. I mean, you caught my <laughs> my Molly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gavin. But anyways, back to Robert Redford. Um, yeah, he's just like such a... Uh, I mean, he, he was able to parlay his good looks into not only just a great acting career, but a directing career. And um, I, I imagine he like was able to do a lot of things just because he was a good looking dude. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, did you discover while watching many, many of his films over the course of these weeks um, the sort of secret to his? Because I, th- I think I cracked a little bit of it. I don't know. I, I there's definitely. I feel like there's different modes that he works right. in. Because um, he's always kind of looked like a boy. Yeah. But he's also always been old. It's disgusting that his hair. He has more hair than his head than I do. <laughs> currently, the man is 82 years old, and I was watching like one of his later movies. Like, Walking in the Woods or whatever that movie is. Oh, yeah, yeah. With, uh, uh, Walk in the Woods. Yeah. Which was the movie that he, like, set aside. It was the yeah. Bill Bryson book. He set it aside to be his final film with Paul, Paul Newman. Newman. Paul uh, Newman passed away. Paul Newman, whom I met before he passed away. Casual, really? casual. Did yeah. he sign some, like, ranch dressing for you? No, no. Uh, my mom is uh, a fucking Mother Teresa. Okay. And uh, she used to work at a camp, Double uh, H Hole in the Woods, which is a camp owned by Paul Newman, which was for um, children with uh, disabilities or life-threatening illnesses. So it was a place where they could go one week out of every summer, and there were many, many kids that come over. Uh, to just have a good time, and uh, I would occasionally go there to visit my mom or volunteer for sometimes, and um, and he was there one year to to look at the new ropes course that That's they awesome. had built, and he was, I mean, I I met him very briefly. I don't want to take this away, but my mom could not get away from the nurses station, and the other nurses brought him in to meet her specifically. Wow. So yeah, yeah, my mom was thrilled, uh, but but. We're not here to talk about Paul Newman, but also great human being. Yeah. Really great human My being. My favorite thing about um, learning about Robert Redford, what we could learn about him, is that he is, you know, I, I imagine a lot of, like, straight bros are like, yeah, Sundance kid, <laughs> and, like, think about Robert Redford and Paul Newman as these, like, pinnacles of masculinity. Yeah. And, like, you would imagine that they would drive in the same lane as Clint Eastwood, um... But actually, they're really fucking lefty, cocky, like, motherfuckers, like... No, I was a little shocked to find out that even as late as, like, the the early 2000s, Robert Redford did um, campaign for some Republicans, but it was because they were friends of his. Mm. I mean, it's just, like, it it really um, touches my heart that he is such an aggressive environmentalist. (laughs) Yes. Like, it's incredible. But all that being said, uh, why don't we get into our rewind? Yes. Redford was born in August 18, 1936 in Santa Monica, California. Um, His 
father was a milkman turned accountant. Um, his parents got divorced and um, his dad got remarried and um, he, that's his stepbrother. He has a stepbrother through um, that um, remarriage. Um, it's funny, every time you, like any interview that I could find of Robert Redford, it was very much like, I fucking hated LA. I needed to get out of California. He's like, literally, there was this no magic for me there. Yeah. Um, and, which is pretty wild. Like, I mean, he's actually <laughs> born in, you know, that, the machine of Hollywood and in that whole area. But he was like, I just, there was nothing there for us. Um, he's talked about how his parents were not wealthy. He said that they weren't like, you know, uh, in poverty, but they were pretty poor, lower middle class. He uh, was a bad student. He's yeah. like, he was just really rebellious, just really didn't have any, like, aim or like guidance for I what read he that wanted he, to do he like was very into the arts but that was it yeah and he only found inspiration outside the classroom um and being interested in art and sports um he got a um scholarship to the university of colorado in boulder um i believe it was for baseball um and so he went but he was only there for a year and a half because he got kicked out because um he was still a bad student um, and he um, joined fraternities and he was, um, he began drinking really heavily. And so he lost his um, scholarship and was kicked out of school. Um, so there was a while when he was just kind of like roaming to the States and worked in oil fields in Texas and California. I was not happy in the condition that I grew up in, the environment. It wasn't an environment that was, it's not, it wasn't Oliver Twist by any means. Yeah. It was an environment that was oppressively conventional and normal to the point of distraction. And I guess I had impulses and desires that wanted to go out and do other things, and I didn't feel that I had the opportunity or the support to do that. And I seemed to be moving in this direction, and the tide seemed to be moving in that direction. It was a, a place in those days where the ethic was uh, not so much whether you, uh, particularly in athletics, where I, I centered myself, not so much whether you won or lost, but how you played the game. And I felt, I found out uh, that that was a false legacy. Uh, you had that. You had a very, very strong uh, impression created that life was wonderful. It had a lot to do with growing up in California where the sun did always shine. Yeah. And uh, the, there was this tremendous post-war boom that was going on that had this multiplication of appliance stores and fast food chains and supermarkets and all, all this thrust towards centralization and uh, clutter and the there wasn't, for me, at, at that age, much of a sign of real quality of life until I moved outside into the mountains or the desert. And so I wanted to leave. And so he went to um, Europe, and he lived in France and Spain and Italy. And while he was there, he was pretty much like a vagabond. Um, he, um, in another interview, he talks about how he was basically living off the kindness of others um, and was at one point, like, sleeping underneath uh, bridges um, and panhandling. It was uh, in a little town called Troyes, uh, just outside of Paris, and I was hitchhiking to the south of France. And it was so cold, I had no way to get warm, I had no place to go, I had very little money, and I was running back and forth on the street corner waiting for a ride, and it didn't come. And it was the middle of the night, and the town had closed up. And finally, I just got tired of running, and I started to get worried that I wasn't going to be able to really get warm. And I, there, across the street was this mound of manure. And so I went over there and just planted myself in it and stayed there for a while until dawn came and I could go into a pastry shop. And that's what I <laughs> but, um, 
Needless to say, it was tough to get a piece of pastry. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the time in Paris was, you know, you look back on it in retrospect, you wonder how much of it was romanticized and how much of it was really fact. It seemed to me at the time, the time was rough, the going was rough, but I don't know how much of that was induced because of the sheer romance of going to Paris, getting out of California, getting out of the United States, and really beginning to feel like I was learning, which I never felt before. He decided to return to the United States, but when he did, he came to New York. And he, when he was in New York, he studied at um, the Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, and he took uh, classes in, uh, I want to say, like art classes. Um, but even that was kind of short-lived because he was also taking classes at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. Um, and that's when he started getting cast in things um and so he didn't graduate from pratt he was just there for a hot minute um and so he emerged in the 1950s um and he began getting um roles um was it tv first or is it broadway it was broadway broadway Broadway. so in broadway he made um his debut in tall story which is 1959 um, he's also in the film version of that, which we talked a very little bit about during the Jane Fonda episode, because it's a film starring her and Anthony Perkins. Honestly, love the Jane Fonda-Robert Redford connection. Oh, yeah, yeah. They are the best. Um, so, yeah, he had small parts in Tall Story and The Highest Tree. Um, and then his biggest breakthrough was in um, Barefoot in the Park, which was in 1963, which we have talked about Yeah, um, with Jane Fonda. Um, so he was in the stage version of this um and later he would be on the um the film version of this so it's through these um things that he was doing on broadway he got noticed by um producers for tv stuff and so he was in lots of television dramas um naked city maverick the untouchables the americans um you know this the twi- <laughs> he had a character named death in the twilight zone yes so uh if uh, not to not to spoil the, an episode of the twilight zone for you but also if you're not a fan of the twilight zone and you're listening to a podcast co-hosted by me go home um the, <laughs> no stay guys uh, yeah actually please stay but uh but watch this episode it's great and like it spoils a bit of a twist but he he plays death you tricked me it isn't me you're afraid of what you're afraid of is the unknown. Give me your hand. You see? No shock. When will we go? And he's really good in it. He even got an Emmy nomination for Best Supporting Actor for his performance in The Voice of Charlie Point in 1962. Whatever that is, I don't know who she is. <laughs> um, but so yeah, it, it was in this time when he was making the minor roles, so he was in Tall Story... Um, for and 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 the Tall Story movie version with Jane Fonda, um, and his second role was in War Hunt in 1962. Um, in 1965, he did it Inside Daisy Clover, which I found so delightful. It's a uh, it's delightful's a word for it. I had never <laughs> seen a movie with what's her face. Oh, Natalie Wood. Yeah, I know. That's not true. You saw West Side Story. Oh. You're right. I, I, had not, I mean, when I think of West Side Story, I don't think of her per se, I guess. I just think of the whole thing. But, um, yeah, I thought uh, he's plays bisexual in Inside Daisy Clover. He does. It's just funny because it's like a time before they really have the words for that. So right. they're basically just like, he's gay. Right. And it's like, that's not how this works. <laughs> I think I think in that movie, though, it, it, and I didn't know that this was so early in his career. I just thought like, wow, he's he looks very handsome. And he's just oozing charm. 
you know, he essentially punks Natalie Wood into, like, getting married and kind of just being like, whatever, fuck Hollywood, let's do what we want. <laughs> um, he won a Golden Globe for that, for Best New Star, um, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, and that's, in 1966, uh, he was in This Property is Condemned, and also with um, Jane Fonda, again, in The Chase, um, which also starred uh, Marlon Brando. Um, 1967 is when Fonda and Redford were um, put together again for Barefoot in the Park, the movie version, which barrels of laughs. <laughs> Tons of fun. I'm not going to listen to this. I'm not going to listen to this. I have a case in court in the morning. Where are you going? Sleep. Now? How can you go to sleep now? I'm going to close my eyes and count Kenichis. Good night, dear. You cannot go to sleep now, Paul. We're having a fight. Well, you have the fight. When you're through, would you turn off these lights, please? Oh, that gets me absolutely insane! You can even control your emotions! No, no, no. I'm just as upset as you are. But when I get hungry, I eat. When I get tired, I sleep. And you eat and sleep, too? Don't deny it. I've seen you. Not in the middle of a crisis. What crisis? We're just yelling. You don't consider this a crisis. Our whole marriage is hanging in the balance. It is? When did this happen? I mean, this, the late 60s were just, like, a boon for him. After Robert Redford had his initial success being kind of, like, charming pretty boy, he got really concerned that, like, that's all he was being cast in. Um, and so he turned down roles in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and The Graduate. Right, Which yeah. is kind of wild. No, I mean, but it's one of those famous things where, like, can you imagine The Graduate, like, with Robert Redford instead of Dustin Hoffman? Right. And it's weird because it becomes one of those things in the movie where it's like, how could he possibly be the son, like the son of these affluent, like like waspy yeah. people? Um, and you would lose all that with Robert Redford. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I don't. It definitely is a better movie for not having Robert Redford in it, which is not to say anything about how he would have played the role, right? Um, also in 1969 is, I mean, when he really blows up, um, so he did Barefoot in the Part in 67, kind of was like, okay, I can't do any more, like, charming blonde dudes, and so in 69, he really, he comes out with, uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Now, interesting thing about that, tell us, tell us, he, he beats out Steve McQueen for the role. Yeah. And, and it's, it's the first film opposite Paul Newman, their careers start to become linked after that. But it's an interesting thing because that's also a very different casting because one of the things Steve McQueen doesn't really have, or at least from the movies I've seen of Steve McQueen, is that, like, really wonderful charm that Robert Redford <laughs> he has. He has, like, whatever charm. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, he's like a gruff and tumble right. sort of guy. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and one of the things Robert Redford's really, really good at is turning it on. For sure. And he said, you know that the the studio didn't want him. Right. And it wasn't until um, he met George Roy Hill, who was the director, um, and the writers, and they were like, we want you. And so they really stood up for him. And I think that, like, that experience really kind of stayed with him. And he's been very generous in his work yeah. um, since then. Um, but yeah, they, the movie was initially going to be called Sundance Kid and Bush Cassidy, but they swapped it because Paul Newman was the bigger name and they wanted someone who was on the same level as Paul Newman was. Paul Newman, who's 13 years older right. and just was already a mega, mega star. Um, but the movie comes out and it got like mixed reviews. <laughs> but it, I mean, it was a smash success. Yeah. And just kind of like catapulted him 
straight into the A-list for, um, of all Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and for the rest of his career. Yeah, totally. And, and it's like, that movie is just, uh, I had never seen it before, but, um, I saw it and I was like, it, it's again, one of those things where it's like these cultural touch, touchstones that you know of. And sometimes you watch them and you're like, Oh, why is it but, like that movie delivers? Yeah. You know, it's that movie's great. Yeah. The filmmaking is so specific and um, it really stands out, I think, among, like, other Westerns, um, because it's not, I mean, compared to, like, Clint Eastwood stuff, like, it's just, like, right. not as, um, it doesn't take itself as seriously. Right. It's, it's, it falls itself somewhere between what you consider the Hollywood Western and what you consider the revisionist Western, yeah. which is, you know, brought about during the Spaghetti Western era, which is the Clint Eastwood. Like hell we will. No, it'll be okay. The water's deep enough we don't get squished to death. He'll never follow us. How do you know? Would you make a jump like that and you didn't have to? I have to, and I'm not gonna. Well, we got to, otherwise we're dead. They're just gonna have to go back down the same way they come. Come on. Just one clear shot, that's all I come want. Come on. Uh-uh. We got to. Up. Get away from me. Why? I want to fight them. They'll kill us. Maybe. You want to die? Do you? All right. I'll jump first. No. Nope. Then you jump first. No, I said. What's the matter with you? I can't swim! <laughs> Why are you crazy? The fall will probably kill you. His niche was like foreign. Like he's a good guy who like is sarcastic and right. can like kind of be like gruff, but he's also relatable. Um, and you see that. For like for the rest of his career. Oh yeah, and that's one of the things I think is interesting. And I I started to I've seen the big ones. You know, I'd seen The Sting, Butch Cassidy, and the Sundance Kid. Um, but one of the things I I never realized is that the role that he invariably plays for the rest of his career post that, and even somewhat before, is a nice guy who does bad things. Totally. And like it's a really interesting thing because. There was a article I was reading that, and now I can't remember which film it is. Oh, it was, uh, I think it was about Captain America, where it mentions it was one of the first times he really plays a villain. An actual bad person. And, and, it, and it messes with that sort of con- conception everybody has of him. But the funny thing is, is the conception is wrong, because he is often playing yeah. a bad guy. Yeah. But he's nice. He's just so charming. He, I mean, yeah. I mean, in like, I mean, we'll get to this thing later, but like, uh, he, I mean, in, in a lot of it, he plays robbers. Like, yeah. You know, even like uh, the hot rock is really actually my, one of my favorite moments in the entire filmography. Even if it, I don't think it's one of his best movies, is there's a scene in the hot rock which is this kind of funny movie about a uh, yeah exactly about a bunch of criminals who essentially have to steal the same diamond four different times because they can never quite get it and there's a member of their crew whose father knows where it is so they've decided to to beat him up under the threat of killing him in front of his father and there's this wonderful moment where Robert Redford is basically telling them like kill him and Zero Mostel who's plays the father is like sort of begging and then he pauses for a moment and he's like you wouldn't do it I'm sorry. I just don't think you can do it. We'll throw him down. And you right after. Never. Never Never in this world. No! Stop it! That ain't for God's sake! It's a long way down. Dad. Stop it! Dad! Please! It's not in you. Please! No! Please! 
sometimes so astute, it's remarkable. There's some things people will not do. But there's things that get done that you can't do yourself. There's things that happen that you can make happen. And it's like so indicative of of who Robert Redford is and all of the characters that he plays, where he's like bad to a point. Right, right. I mean, you get that like in sneakers and it's the same thing, but like digital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you get that. I love sneakers. I I would talk about sneakers all day long. I love sneakers too. (laughs) Um, You know, we're getting that again now in his latest Old Man with a Gun. Yeah, yeah. Old Man and the Gun. Sorry. Um, So, you know... Essentially, he this Sundance kid, um, basically, all the students are like, here are the keys to the car, do whatever you want. Um, unfortunately, turns out Robert Redford is like an indie queen yeah. and wants to make weird fucking movies. Right. It's not pleasant. It's, it's, that's a whole double-edged sword, that, you know. Um, because you're, you're naive at the time, you're just playing a role. And you started in the business, uh, if you started as I did, as, a, as an actor who liked to think he came from the legitimate stage, which I did in New York, you think of yourself first all as an actor, and then suddenly you're in, uh, you're playing a variety of different roles, and no one's really making too much about it, and then suddenly you're in a particular production that's very successful. And then the next thing you know, you're, you're kind of labeled, and as you stretch to a different role, the acceptance is less. The credibility of being able to stretch uh, to stretch is, is uh, less. I'm beginning to think more and more that uh, people tend to want to restrict you to a certain slot, and if they've been pleased by a performance in that slot, they just as soon have it stay there. But for me, that's for television. Uh, that's for television series, and I don't think it's bad. It's perfectly fine, but it's not for me. During this time, he just kind of has these kind of like I don't want to say like flops, but flops um and so he puts out downhill racer which was about skiing um, uh i mean it is but like the the weirdest thing about downhill racer is it feels the least hollywood out of like all of the hollywood movies he's he made because i watched that movie and i was like is this thing gonna have a plot right <laughs> and, uh, and it's fine I actually liked its final form but it's so funny because it's it's fighting against itself because yeah. it wants to be like a, a Hollywood movie about a skier but also it wants to be like a French New Wave movie about yeah. a skier yeah but then he comes storming back with his huge box office hit Jeremiah Johnson which if you don't know what this movie is I'm sure you've seen the meme or the gif of <laughs> Robert Redford nodding just nodding very sincerely like yeah. Yeah. Good job. The good job meme. I had never seen the movie before. Really? And I watched it and I was like, oh my God, the meme. <laughs> Which is awful because I'm what? Basic. In 1972, The Candidate also came out, which was like this political satire, which, I mean, watching this year was yeah. like, ah! Yeah. It was, it's, it's so relevant. Yeah. And I genuinely don't know why the candidate is not taught in schools. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. It's essentially this guy who decides to run just cause, but like, right. Doesn't expect to win. Yeah. He's told his, his job is to take the fall. Yeah. He has to lose. Right. But then he's like, wait, but maybe I can like do good things. Right. Um, it's a it's, good movie. It's also, if we were to ever, if we were ever to get to the point where we did the Peter Boyle mix reviews, like, that is Peter Boyle's five-star review. I, I mean, the closest thing you get is maybe Young Frankenstein, where he plays Frankenstein's monster, but he's so good in The Candidate. 
What did you accomplish? Would you like a list? You saved some trees. Yeah. You got a clinic open. That's no good. Does that make you feel good? Not bad. Meanwhile, Jarman sits on his committees and carves up the land, the oil, and the taxes. Have you ever seen him? Have you ever seen him operate? Marvin? Yeah. What's in it for you? Oh, an air card, a phone card, a thousand bucks a week. And that's all? Well, Marvin wants me to go into politics. What else is new? What office? Senator. Well, why not? This is really like a golden era for Rob Redford because he have Jeremiah Johnson, the candidate, and the next year, The Way We Were, right. with Barbara Streisand, which was a huge hit. Um, and The Sting. And The Sting in 1970 also, which was the biggest hit of his career. Yeah. Um, and it became one of the top 20 highest grossing movies of all time, and he was nominated for an Oscar. I think it's his only acting... Um, Oscar. No, it was his first acting nomination. His first act, yeah. He has two, I believe. Yeah. Um, by the way, and I don't know if we want to list the awards at the end of this because it might get a little boring. He has so many awards. Mm-hmm. So many awards. So we'll talk maybe about the Oscars, the Golden Globes, but like, just know he's been nominated for everything. I mean, just to kind of like get through this, um, notable movies that come out. He In 74, he has The Great Gatsby, um, Three Days of the Condor in 75. In 1976, All the President's Men comes out, yeah, which is a huge movie. He plays Bob Woodward. Yes. Um, alongside um, uh, Dustin, Dustin Hoffman. Hoffman, who's so good in that movie. Yeah. Um, which I think every journalism student has to watch that. Yeah, it's yeah. like required um, in school. Um, he executive produced the movie, and he's even said he didn't want to be in the movie, but as time went on with the studio, they were like, we need a big name. We need to really sell this movie. Um, and so he decided to, to step in. Um, in 1980, he does the prison drama Brubaker, which I really liked. Yeah, it's about about prison reform, and it's like way at, but no, that's not true. I was going to say it's way ahead of its time, but you know what? Prisons have needed to be reformed for a very long time. Yeah, and that story is fucking wild. Yeah. Um, if you guys want to like just Google Brubaker, it's, it's based on a true story. It's fucking wild. Um, in 84, he's in one of the greatest sports movies of all time, The Natural. I mean, if, you, if you're into, like, crying at sports movies, there she is. Um, it's around this time he directs his first movie, yeah. um, Ordinary People, which I just watched today. Um, we're not talking about him as a director well, specifically. We can, we can talk but... a bit about it, right? Because this is the other thing that's interesting. We, we haven't run into this too much. The closest we've run into it is when we did... Uh, Diego Luna, because right. Diego Luna is also director, um, but but Robert Redford directs as well, and I think we're talking about his career, we also have to talk a little bit about direction. Right. What I meant, Gavin, <laughs> is that I'm not, not He's saying, not in the film, and therefore... It's, <laughs> he's not in the film, and like this movie, which is very, very good, I would not yeah. say it's his five-star, you know, we're right. judging the, the reviews on his acting, right. but he is a pretty prolific um, director, um, just in the sense that his movies are you know, wildly successful. Um, for the most part. There's been some... That right. Um, when I mean that, I mean, like, um, like lauded by his peers. Um, Ordinary People, his directorial debut, he wins the Oscar for Best Direction. I was thinking... No, I wasn't thinking. I was just kind of blank. But you know how it is when somebody says to you a few... About a year before, they say, you know, if anybody had told you a year ago that you would have been 
dot, dot, dot. Well, I just didn't think I was going to see this. And it wins Best Picture. Yeah. And, and um, Timothy Hutton, in his like film debut, wins um, the Supporting Actor Oscar. Um, the movie is very good. Uh, it has, um, God, uh, Mary Tyler Moore is in the movie, and she's yeah up against type, and it's um, just so good. Um, and so this is in 84. In 85, he does Sidney Pollock's Out of Africa, which I think was the first thing I saw in this little oh, really? adventure yeah. of ours. And I was like, oh, Meryl, how can I go wrong? Um, and, <laughs> and you know what? I'm not mad at the movie. That movie is ambitious as fuck. Yeah. Um, her accent work, iconic as ever. Um, but we'll get to this later. You can go wrong with a Meryl movie. And it won seven Oscars. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, he ends up working with Sidney Pollack for six like yeah. movies, which is, I mean, he just, you know, is in it to win it. Um, yeah, I mean, he makes A River Runs Through It, where he directs a young um, Brad Pitt. Yeah, and he also plays the narrator, but, I mean, he's uncredited and he's just a voice. Yeah, and so now we're moving into the 90s, so we've got A River Runs Through It, um, Indecent Proposal. Which is a success, but also a bad movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know that thing where it's <laughs> yeah. not good, but like, yeah, yeah. people like it? Yeah, we're calling, currently, at this moment in time, we're calling it The Venom Factor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it, but I kind of want to. Anyway. I love Michelle Williams, you know? I know, what we can all, I do? We all do. What can I do? <laughs> oh, and Rez Ahmed? <laughs> yes, also true. Should be James Bond. Anyways. You're not wrong. Um, he directed and was in The Horse Whisperer with a young Scarlett Johansson. Yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, Sneakers is in 92 with Sidney Poitier and a bunch of fun actors. Yeah, yeah. He is producing a lot of stuff. He does, um, An Unfinished Life in 2005, um, which is no bueno, <laughs> but also stars Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, true. It does. Whom I love. Um, he's got Lines for Lambs in 2007 with Tom Cruise, who's, yeah, is no bueno. <laughs> His next his next two films are like a both back to back, um, not disasters, but not I mean they really badly received and also directed by him. Yeah, which yeah. is Lions for Lambs, as you mentioned with Tom Cruise and a reteaming once again Meryl Streep mm -hmm. and the company you keep, which we brought up very a little tiny bit uh, when we talked about Stanley Tucci because he plays mm. uh, Shia LaBeouf's editor in that movie for the Albany Times Union, one of the local papers from where I grew up. <laughs> so He brings it back around in 2013, though, when he stars in All is Lost. He is the only person in this movie. Yeah, he, has, he plays a character named Arman. Yeah, and I want to say that in an interview he said there was the whole script was 30 pages long Yeah, because there's so little dialogue. Um, the movie is aggressively uh just like i don't want to say thrilling but it's aggressively like singular you like it's in, it gets in your head because like yeah. you are projecting things towards the movie because the movie is only giving you the action of what's happening to him when i mean it's, it's, this man is on a boat and it springs a leak goes through a storm and he's basically just trying to like not die in 2014 he was in captain america the winter soldier um, he was the head of S.H.I.E.L.D., like we, and who was a secret HYDRA uh, member. Yeah. So um, this is where he is playing an actual villain. Um, yeah, and then he does his A Walk in the Woods with Nick Nolte and Emma Thompson. Really quickly about this movie, Emma Thompson and 
Robert Redford are like 20 years in age difference. <laughs> I saw you tweeting about I that. I tweeted because I was like, no, this happens too much. <laughs> like, far too much. I don't like it. I agree. I agree. I, and a part of me is like, maybe it's shitty, but like, were there no other actresses at that age that could like be a suitable partner for him? Because Emma Thompson is not the one. Yeah. Ugh. And Tiquez. Um, he does Pete's Dragon, which is whatever. And um, just recently he came out with The Old Man and the Gun. I think that kind of sums up his filmography well enough. Um, but kind of skipping back, let's go all the way back to um, Jeremiah Johnson in 1972. Because it's in that era when he's filming that movie, he decides he fucking loves Utah. Yep. And he decides to buy um, a big portion of land. And of that, he slices off a couple acres. And he... Um, so he buys an entire ski area on the east side of the Mount Timpanogos, northeast of Provo, Utah. And he renames it Sundance. Um, and he creates this, like, institute, this... You know, it's a film festival. Everyone knows right. Sundance now. I mean, right. thinking about but it, most people think of the the, the film the festival. Film festival, but it is an institute. Uh, people workshop scripts. People workshop short films. They go and make them there. People get funding for their their projects there. Like it is, he is literally, and I he's not given enough credit for this outside of the film community. He is the godfather of modern independent film. The reason I started Sundance was because I felt that the mainstream was completely controlling exhibition. And therefore, because they were uh, the mainstream was tied studios' relationship with the theaters, and the studios had people under contract, so they put them in the films. And I just felt there were a whole lot of other people out there who were talented, who had stories to be told, and then they should be given a chance. So that's what led to the idea of starting Sundance, but then what, what was missing was these filmmakers had talent, they had skill, they had stories to tell, but they were undisciplined because they had not had a chance to develop themselves. So that's what led to the idea of starting the Sundance Institute. Uh, and the only place to start it was the only thing I could give up, which was the land in Utah. I couldn't put it in an urban environment, it would have been too expensive. So I thought I could give my own land and bring people out there. I thought, well, maybe what would happen what would happen if artists came into nature, you know, because most of the film development was done in the cities. I said, well, what would happen if we had a, a, a development program in nature and see what kind of effect that nature would have on the filmmakers? But the bottom line point was to give new filmmakers a chance to have their stories told and be seen. So we started this nonprofit, the Sundance Institute, and we brought filmmakers out, and I would, I would call on my own colleagues, uh, directors, writers, actors, to come to Sundance and give of their time and work as mentors to, to develop the skills. So we did that, and we could see that we were helping them get their films made, but because we were a nonprofit, we couldn't follow them all the way into the profit zone. So... Uh, they kind of they died at that point. And I thought, God, you know what? What's missing is that no one can see these films. So the only thing I could think of was, well, if we can if we can create a, a place for the films to be seen, and at least create a community of the filmmakers to come see each other's work, then maybe that could start something. So that's what led to the idea of the festival in Park City, which is not Sundance; it's forty miles away. 
So that's what led to the festival. But then some, later on, once that succeeded, a lot of people got confused. They thought that Sundance was the festival. All it was was going into the profit area and saying, okay, we now want to have an exhibition place where people can come see the films. And that's how the whole thing started. He said recently, you know, um, about like his an advice or things that he's learned. And he's like, first and foremost, this is a business. And if you can't get funding or distribution, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and he's like, and that doesn't sound like art and that doesn't sound good. But like, that's the reality of it. And I think like, this is such a good, clear case of like, I don't know. He was a rich, good looking, charming white man who got a bunch of money from his early movies and said, I'm passionate about this and I want to create a platform for other people to make their way in. And so, I mean, nowadays independent film and like mainstream Hollywood film are so like intermingled, you know, it's yeah. like sometimes it's even hard, you know, when you think about the independent spirit awards, a lot of those awards are the things that we're honoring at the Oscars. Oh yeah. And vice versa. I worked at a filmmaker magazine, um, in 2007 and I remember talking with someone who I, I won't name. I don't think they were even with the company anymore, but they brought up a really solid point, which was um, that year at the Independent Spirit Awards, Little Miss Sunshine was nominated for Best Independent Feature. And he was like, if you look at that cast, mm -hmm. that automatically disqualifies you from being an independent film. Yeah, I mean... And I was like, yeah, yeah, and, I get that. And it's like kind of... Uh, he's single-handedly created the lane of independent filmmaking and the audience to yeah. this wider audience for people to view the stuff just to do real quick, his personal life. Um, mm -hmm. he's been married twice. Uh, he married Lola Van, uh, Wagenen. I think that's how you say her name. I apologize if it's incorrect. Um, they got married September 12th in 1958 and they divorced in 1985. They had four children together, Scott, Anthony, Shauna, Jean, David, James, and, uh, Amy Hart Redford. <laughs> Um, Scott died, uh, two months after his birth from sudden infant death syndrome, um, which I'm can't, I mean, especially their first child, yeah. I can't imagine the heartbreak that that, um, brought for them. Um, Redford has since remarried. Uh, he married, uh, uh Sybil Zaggers, who is a partner of his for a very long time in 2009, um, in Germany. Yeah, casual. Yeah, exactly. Why not? Um, and, yeah, and the, also, just to bring it back to what I was saying at the very top about, like, why it's hard to... In 2011, uh, Robert Redford, the biography, came out, written by Michael Feeney Callan. It was put together over the course of 15 years with input from Robert Redford himself, including personal papers and diaries, and every review of this book I have read has said it contains little to no personal information about Robert Redford. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that sounds right. I mean, every, it's just like, he, I don't know, he minds his own business. Even like interviews when you do see him, he's like very like, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. People begin to treat you more and more like an object. And the danger is that you begin to feel more and more like an object. And the chances are you begin to act more and more like one. And, and the, the thing that made you what you are there's a wonderful line, incidentally, in a, in a book about Tom Mix, of all people. Where it says, what is it about success that makes us lose the thing that made us a success in the first place? And uh, there's great truth to that, I think. And I'm, I'm awkward and self-conscious in, in crowds. I, I, I worry about them. I fear them. And I don't trust them. 
so you, you carve your own space for yourself, but the danger is that that space is usually an isolated one and you get no, no feedback. He's been such a supporter of, you know, environmentalism and Native American rights and um, different advocacy groups for, I mean, he was like anti the Trans-Canada Pipeline. Um, he feels very like at home in the West. Yeah. Um, he said he, so he essentially spits his time between Utah and New York, I think. And, um, he, but I, I do think he, I mean, he's 82 years old. So I, I think the, he, uh, I don't know. I think he's a, I think he's a good human being. I'm not looking for Robert Redford to like save America. Um, but I would watch that movie, but I would, but I would watch that movie (laughs) that, that he directs, that he directs. Um, he has, oh, also real quick, but I feel like this is such a non thing. He has said his newest film, The Old Man and the Gun, is going to be his last film. He's since walked that back and then not walked it back and then walked it back. So who knows? Maybe Robert Redford will never retire. Right. He doesn't give a fuck. You know, I can't do this forever. I've been doing it since I was 21. As you move into your 80s, you say, hey, that's enough. That's enough. It's hard for me to hear that when you say it. It's hard for me to say it. Yeah? (laughs) Well, yeah. You don't like talking about your end. I mean, who does? Quite a career, um, not as public as as other celebrities. That's, I mean, it sort of shocked me because I do think of him, you know, they did a bunch of movies together, and I do think of him as contemporary of Jane Fonda, and she's so open about her life. I read that entire book um, about her that she wrote, and... I feel... um, But he's more... He sort of built his own. I wonder if it's like this weird thing. I mean, and I wonder if he's just like very uninterested in like self-examination yeah. or yeah. like when people are trying to ask him like, oh, and he's always just like, what, what do you mean? I'm just like doing my thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't think he has, I mean, this is a very fucking weird thing to say. Like, I wonder if he just doesn't have the ego to like kind of really be like, okay, America. Okay, fans, this is how. No, but I, I don't, I don't think you're, I don't think that's fucked up and I don't think you're wrong in saying that because I do think it does take both an interest in self-examination, which I suppose is a little selfless, but also an ego mm-hmm. to put it on display out there because, which is selfish because right. that you believe people are interested in you and perhaps he, yeah, perhaps he sort of falls in the middle of that somewhere where he's like, people don't care. And, right. And yeah. it's, it's almost like in the way, I mean because he's of this, like, gilded Hollywood era, um, I don't know, he's just, like, very uninterested and kind of... I mean, when you think of, like, who's the... um, Olivia de Havilland? Yeah. Who's just like, nope, bye. Like, you can say whatever you want. And so he kind of, like, lives in that world where it's just like... I mean, opposed to, like, Joan Crawford, you know, who... um, Still of the time, but she was, like, aggressively, like, wanting to put herself out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, And because... Yeah, I guess for her, and we talked a little bit about this on the Joan Crawford episode too, like the celebrity like fed into, like it was sort of how she sustained herself. Yeah. Whereas I think Robert Redford has achieved a level of, of sustainment that he doesn't, he doesn't care. And I think he's actually been there for a really long time. I think he mostly makes movies when he wants to right. or when, when he's interested. They're very for himself. I think. Yeah, like, yeah. He doesn't really... Even when he does something like Pete's Dragon, which we're probably not going to bring it up again, so I just want to say I fucking love David Lowry's Pete's Dragon. Uh, David Lowry directed uh, a film called uh, Anthem Body Saints. I like to refer to it as Anthem Dragon's Pete's. Oh. Um, I 
love that movie. And I was shocked because I was like, whatever, this is going to be a dumb kids movie. No, I am I am down for that reinterpretation. It's so good. Oscar for the dragon. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, Louie, let's get into our reviews. Do you want to go with one star or five star? Uh, let's do our one star reviews. My one star review is um, 2007's Line for Lambs. Um, I, uh, it's funny, on the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast... I was gonna bring them up, by the way. If you, for both Lions for Lambs or An Unfinished Life, if yeah. you want to find out more about... Uh, those movies. Those movies, specifically, uh, there's a really great podcast hosted by our friends Joe Reed and Chris Vile. Um, it's really entertaining and a great analysis of, like why these films just like what keeps them from getting that right. um statue that they so clearly want desperately but, aggressively uh, want but robert redford's in both of those films yeah. uh but we're gonna talk specifically lions for lambs yeah so lions for lambs came out in 2007 um and it aggressively <laughs> had oscar buzz wanted oscars i don't know i mean when you fucking put a movie with robert redford meryl streep and tom cruise and yeah. robert redford is directing I guess there's some like and and like a vanity project for Cruz too because it was the first production after he purchased United Artists. Yeah, yeah, and um, I did this movie is not what I thought it was going to be. This movie um, is essentially three stories. Um, Robert Redford plays a professor at USC, and he, the entirety of him in this movie is talking to a young Andrew Garfield, who's like. You used to be a good student. What happened? And he's like, I don't know. I don't even care. Like, who cares about political science and bro? <sighs> Whatever. <laughs> um, Meryl Streep is the second part of this movie um, with uh, Tom Cruise. Uh, Tom Cruise is like a senator um, who's like basically this like very hawkish Republican who um, she had written in the media that he was the future of the Republican Party. Um, and now he's invited her to have an interview about his new plan for the war in Iraq. Um, and essentially his plan is like, bomb the shit out of them. Right. Um, and Merle's like, what? But why? And how? <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's like, do you even believe in America? Do you even like America? Like you, he's like, I need you to like do this thing in the media for me. So it looks like we're doing something good. Um, and then the third part is, um, the actual troops in Iraq, um, to do the thing that Tom right. Cruise's character wants them to do. Um, and they're all connected because the, 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 the um, troops in Iraq, two of them were students of Robert Redford's and he's tying them and their story to try and get Andrew Garfield more engaged <clears throat> And it's all like fucked up because, I don't. I mean, the, the movie. The movie is all the like, grandstanding and like speechifying and scenery chewing. I mean, honestly, it's weird. I feel like Meryl Streep probably does the least amount of right the scenery chewing in the movie, which is like a wild thing to think. Um, even a even young Andrew Garfield could not resist like being like. Ugh. Doesn't nothing even matter? It's like who cares? My one vote and whatever. But like it's, um, and Robert Redford just you just feel this movie, um, like aggressively trying to be like fucking Republicans, you know? Right. And uh, as true, and I was gonna say as much as we appreciate that sentiment, right? It's just like the 
over, like overly heavy handed. The decisions you make now, bud, can't be changed. But with years and years of hard work to redo it. And in those years, you become something different. Everybody does as time passes. You get married, you get into debt. But you're never going to be the same person you are right now. And promise and potential, it's very fickle. And it just might not be there anymore. Are you assuming I already made a decision? And also that I'll live to regret it? All I'm saying is that you're an adult now. And the tough thing about adulthood is that it, it starts before you even know it starts. When you're already a dozen decisions into it. But what you need to know, Todd, no lifeguards watching anymore. You're on your own. Yeah, Robert Redford read the script and was like, ooh, great. Like, it's <laughs> smart. Let's do it. Um, but it's just no. <laughs> it's just no. There's nothing, I mean, I, I wish there was, any, like, I don't find anything redeeming out this movie. It was, Tom Cruise is, like, overacting. Um, they don't give nothing for Meryl to do. Uh, do you do you think, um, because he was both in an acting position and a directing position, <laughs> um, that it was maybe too much of a split focus for him as well? Or? Well, I think because there's a three storylines, right. that's already tricky to handle. And all of the <laughs> war stuff feels very stagey. feels very, like, shot on a soundstage. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're all, like, just being, they're looking at, like, um, screens of, like, radar shit. Yeah. Um, but I also just don't think Robert Redford's particularly good. He's, I mean, he's, um, the way he, I mean, he it's later in his career, so he right. looks older and he's basically trying to chastise this kid but he's like i saw something in you and you should be and i'm like shut up who cares right, right. like you know he's basically and, and the entire movie he's like you know my two students they put everything on the line and they're serving their country and even though i told them not to and so andrew garfield's like so you do or you don't want me to and what yeah and i just don't think the script is well written enough to like understand what it's even trying to do. Um, all I think it's trying, it's trying to be like, people are indifferent. And if we paid more attention, we could keep in check the Tom Cruises of America, which it's like, uh, yeah, it just, it doesn't get the job done. And I don't, I don't think Robert, like, Robert Rufford is a little too smug in the role. Yeah. And he's not, this is not effective. I mean, I didn't buy or believe anything. I was like, right. I don't know what to feel or what to do, what the call to action is in this movie. And it's so weird because the movie has such an aggressive, like, see guys, this is the thing. Okay. But it's just like a Nina false flat. So, blah. No Oscars for them. <laughs> uh, so, what I is th- your one star review? I think that's an excellent analysis of that film. Um, my one star review is actually, unfortunately, the final collaboration between Robert Redford and Sidney Pollock. Um, this was not my initial one-star review, but I watched this movie, um, and okay. it's called Havana. I um, didn't watch Havana. It's from 1990, um, and it is 140 minutes long of time I wish I could get back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's set on the very eve of the Cuban Revolution, um, and I just think Americans shouldn't make films yeah, about yeah. the Cuban Revolution. Mm-hmm. I've already invoked Diego Luna's name once. Yes, yes. Uh, which was 
when we talked about Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. Uh-huh. Another, Dirty, yeah. another epic time yeah. period piece. Um, and this is the same era, except in this movie, you Less don't have dancing. dancing. Less yeah. dancing. Huh. You have Robert Redford, who is, uh, like, a smuggler and a gambler uh, who, like, plays cards out of the club of Alan Arkin, his popular Havana uh, casino um, he works for Meyer Lansky, the famous Jewish mobster uh, from that era. And they're friends, but he, they have kind of that like, wow, we're old friends. We're going to bicker back and forth. And one night, uh, Robert Redford's hired to do a job by Lena Olin, um, who wants him to sneak a car out. And he finds out that she's working for the revolutionaries because she's married to Raul Julia, uh, who's playing Arturo Duran. He's a member of an old wealthy family there but he's also a figurehead in the revolution. And I got really nervous because it takes them a solid hour and a half to tell you Lena Olin is not playing Cuban. Okay. And yeah. I was like, what is this movie? Because she's like so dark in the movie and everything. Um, she is actually playing somebody from Sweden. So I was like, oh, thank God. But like, why, why? did you wait so long? <laughs> um, the Because it literally looked like she was in brown face for most of the movie. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and... We have a code Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Um, and, yeah, it's just really long. I didn't particularly like Pollock's directing in it, which is weird, because I'm a big Sydney Pollock fan for <laughs> the most part. Um, I didn't, I mean, it was pretty, like, it looked pretty, but in a very, like, old movie style sort of way, which is a weird way to present something as gritty as... The Cuban Revolution. Does he give it um, the like out of Africa like sheen? A little bit, a little bit. Like it's it's definitely like, um, I talk about this a lot in in life when I'm t- trying to describe things that look artificial. Which was when Tom Ford was directing the movie uh, A Single Man. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He hired the guy that did th- does the production design for Mad Men, mm-hmm. and the first thing he told him was. Uh, but I want this to look like the real 60s, not like a magazine like you do for that show. <laughs> and, like, that's what this looked like. This looked like the 1950s by way of, like, a magazine. Right. And so, like, everything had an artificial quality. I guess you're sort of right by saying sheen, like, everything. And on top of that, like, it's the one movie where I think Robert Redford's, um, like, tough guy but charm doesn't work. Because he's supposed to be... And I think part of it is, is he's kind of a loser in this movie, but because Robert Redford is so charming, it's hard to buy him as a, as like 100% a loser. Right. Okay. Now, you can't be doing this for a living. You're too lousy. I'm not doing it for a living. People know you in Havana? I live there. I'll pay whatever it takes. 600 $800. You really want this, don't you? Will you do it? Be against my principles. Go ahead. I would argue he is the bad guy in um, in Havana, but you're rooting for him for right. some reason, which is weird because he's sort of like the old guard of like he's the reason the Cubans have their revolution <laughs> to get that American presence out of that sort of like right. oh, totally. that, that yeah. capitalist presence out of. And it's weird because the movie really wants you to be like, 
no, he's the good guy. I don't know. There's a lot of missteps here. I also don't particularly think he has a ton of chemistry with Lena Olin, which is funny because he didn't want to work with her initially. He wanted Michelle Pfeiffer, who eventually got to work with him up close and personal. And I'll be honest, I don't think he has chemistry with Michelle Pfeiffer. I think she's great and up close and personal, and he's not. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I can't pinpoint the exact problem. I think there's a writing issue. It's like there's the whole a, movie has yeah. like an avalanche of things. Yeah, right yeah, uh, yeah. It's yeah. like what, like fixing one aspect wouldn't fix another aspect. I think it's a not great script coupled with a with a performance that he doesn't know how to give, and uh, yeah, and then the the lack of chemistry is a huge thing because you're really supposed to believe. I mean, it's, it essentially sort of turns into Casablanca mm. in the end, where it's like. You know, they're lovers, but then they're ex-lovers, so then there's, like, a tension between them, and you kind of want to see them together, and they're not going to end up together, but, like, maybe they should end up together, and... But, like, yeah, it just... I don't know, it's it's curbing from better stuff, and it just... It feels wrong at all turns. But, the, I mean, the movie was a, really a, a disaster to begin with, anyway. I mean, like, it, it's remembered in history as a disaster, um, so... I feel bad sort of kicking something when it's down, but, you know, that's... He's fine. He'll yeah. be fine. Oh, yeah. It's all fine. Oh, yeah. And like I said, it's from 1990. But, yeah, it is... It's not good, and it's long. So right. that's a really bad combination. Yeah. That, I guess that kind of... It's interesting you say he... he um, playing a, a... His, like, sweet spot is a good guy who does bad things. Yeah. Um, and I guess also in Lines for Lambs... He doesn't do anything. It's just kind right. of like speechifying. <laughs> yeah. And so he's not even able to be like charming or like, you know. Right. I, I would imagine if he could like inject some wit and charm into the thing. But I think he was just very focused on being like. Yeah. Listen up, kids. Which is a very Clint Eastwood thing to do. Yeah. Which Robert Redford but, is not. But it's so funny because I, I agree like coming from either side. But it is funny that it is. It's a very Clint Eastwood thing to do, but from the opposite direction. Yeah. Which is... Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The only... Uh, the only other one that I really, really hate is... I really hate the Coppola version of, um, of Great Gatsby. <laughs> and I think he is really miscast as uh, Jay Gatsby. And and I don't know what Mia Farrow is doing in that movie. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah... Th- I don't. I don't really know how to pinpoint. I, he's just so milk toast in the role, and it's funny because you think that that would be. Speaking of being like a good, a, like a good guy who does bad things, like that should be the the like right up his alley. But it ne- he never accomplishes it, and they just both seem bored. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? I do. When an hour alone with you was an impossibility. My parents. No. Other officers. Driving up to your great house, honking. Calling out for you. I remember one on the porch. Waiting in darkness so complete I couldn't see his face. (laughs) They meant nothing. How can I forget? Unfinished Life. An unfinished Life. Um, yeah. What a fucking weird movie. I don't know who that movie is for. It's, uh, you know, one of those mid-op movies where, like, I don't think people knew what style was. Right. Or, like, taste was. <laughs> Not that I have good either of those things, but, like, when you look at Hollywood, like, it, it, they should have that. Right. Um, you know, Jennifer Lopez and him and Morgan Freeman and the bear 
just all like the bear is the best part of that movie. Period. The um they talk about that extensively on the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, by the way. Oh, they do. I will admit that Jeremiah Johnson is not my cup of tea, but um, you know, there's just only so much I could take of him wandering around. You... Oh, wait, also, is that not the one where he like falls in love with the, the Native American girl? Yeah, and then or not even falls in love, but like has her yeah. prizes her, and yeah, okay, yeah. I was like, that's just weird, but yeah, no, the some of the politics are real bad in that movie. Um. Um, but yeah, okay, let's move on then. Okay, want to get into our five-star reviews? Yes. This is going to reveal a lot about me, but fuck it, I'm going for it. Um, I, there are a lot of his classics and big hits that I really, really enjoyed. Um, but truthfully, the most fun are, I don't know, my favorite Robert Redford is the more charmy um dude less of the like serious kind of like wise person um so my pick is 1986's legal eagles <laughs> really yeah. that movie's okay at best i like that movie so much um it is a uh tr- a comedy thriller um romance starring him and Deborah Winger, who I think also is too young for him in this movie, but I'm, I digress. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also starring Daryl Hannah. He plays... Uh, Daryl Hannah's actually my favorite part. Not to take away from everybody else. Everybody else is good in it, and that's why I think it's like a three-star movie at best. Like, And I think... Um, uh, I can't think... Ivan Reitman like mm-hmm. did, did his best like post-Ghostbusters direction that we've ever really gotten from him. Uh, but... Daryl Hannah's kind of amazing in the movie, and her, like, weird, like, put out the fire, which I've also heard a lot before because I listened to Katja's podcast, Mm -hmm. Whimsically Volatile, and they play it a lot. Um, Excellent. And I love it so much. Put out the fire. Like, Daryl Hannah's the shit in this movie. <laughs> so, Legal Eagles was um, released by, uh, in 1986, uh, post-Ghostbusters, uh, like you said. Um, and it has that same, like, walking the line of a, a, a very specific yeah. tone, which I just thought was so good. I think also... It's, like, labeled as a comedy drama, and I think it verges way more towards drama than it does comedy. Yeah. Because I don't think a lot of the com- At least for me, the, a lot of the comedy didn't land. Like, the whole thing about her not being able to drive, and then, of course, she has to drive later in the movie, which I thought was, like, a perfect setup, but not executed well. Yeah. I, I think Deborah Winger is one of those actresses who has never gotten her, like... Yeah. Real chance to shine. Maybe I love Deborah Winger, but A yeah. system, like a, a... There's a documentary about it called Searching for Deborah Winger. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's about, like, like why did she have to go... Like, she was, like, such a star. Why did she have to go away? She participated in it, in fact, too. And then she didn't do another film for years and years. And I mean, not not after Legal Eagles. She did a bunch of films after Legal Eagles. But there was a time period in the 90s where she stopped doing movies, and then she didn't come back again until Rachel getting married. I know. We, we talked... Yes, yes, of course. Um, Deborah Winger is so good. So, essentially, um, Robert Redford plays Tom Logan, who's an assistant DA... Um, he's divorced, has a daughter, um, and he's up for a promotion to become the district attorney. Um, except, uh, Daryl Hannah, when she was a child, she's the daughter of a very famous, um, painter, um, artist. And, um, as a child, her father and their house, which houses a bunch of yeah. his paintings, 
burns down mysteriously. He dies. She survives, but she sees some like shenanigans from other men going on. Um, as an adult, she is trying to, she's arrested for stealing a painting and she's saying that painting, um, my father gave to me before he died. Um, and Deborah Winger, who is kind of like a, uh, defense attorney, like nobody attorney. Yeah, yeah. She decides to make a big stink, um, in front of, uh, Robert Redford's character to get the, the district attorney's office involved to drop the charges and shenanigans ensue. They're trying to find the painting. Um, and you know, I, I like this movie a lot and I like him in it a lot because whenever he like, whenever you actually get a, um, like surprised or like sneaky, cheeky Redford, it's like such a joy that it would have finally comes out. Cause he's so witty and funny, Yeah, but like he uses it so sparingly. And in this movie is, is where I thought I saw it the most. Um, because he's, like, having to juggle, like, you know, his daughter who's, like, talking shit. Not talking shit, but, like, revealing secrets to his wife. Um, He ends up in bed with Daryl Hannah, and it's plastered all over the place. Yeah, I was gonna say, that Um, becomes a huge press thing, yeah. um, He has to... But but this is also one of my issues with the movie. It is definitely, like, two movies shoved together, because there's so many subplots. You find out Daryl Hannah was involved with the man that you think maybe murdered her father uh, for years. You, like, uh, Robert Redford gets fired from being an assistant district attorney who might take over as district attorney, um, to becoming a defense lawyer. Like, at a, like it just, it's like too, it's too much movie for its own good. I think, you know, the whole thing with Daryl Hannah and like the lover part, like, I think that was just like, what a twist, you know, like they're trying to like build this like thing. Cause in the end it's kind of like, she gets, you know, accused of murder. Right. Um, and, His- his speech, though, his opening statement is so good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My, oh, my God. Like, him playing Law & Order. Yeah. Brilliant. Ladies and gentlemen, Chelsea Dearden did not kill Victor Taft. The prosecution has suggested a possible motive, but one based entirely on hearsay, conjecture, and circumstantial evidence. Evidence that on the surface would appear to have some substance, but upon closer examination will prove to have no relevance whatsoever to this case. You're not buying this, are you? You're not listening to a word I'm saying. Really? Right? Well, guess what? I don't blame you. After listening to Mr. Blanchard lay out the prosecution's evidence, even I'm convinced my client murdered Victor Taft. After all, if I'd walked in the room and found Victor Taft dead on the floor and Chelsea Dearden's fingerprints all over the weapon that killed him, there isn't much in the world that would convince me that she wasn't guilty. Look, let's just save ourselves a lot of time here. Let's be honest. I'm sure there are a lot better things for us to be doing. Who thinks Chelsea Dearden is guilty? Objection, Your Honor. Like I said, it's got the the, the tone of the movie, um, the feel of the movie is so nice, and I just liked seeing him kind of playing hairy dad who can't go to sleep and has to tap dance to like fall asleep. And, um, I think him and Deborah Winger have electric chemistry. The movie is very not serious about itself. I, I am genuinely surprised, but I like that. I like that. I'm surprised. So, I mean, like uh, all of you, if you've probably, you've probably seen all of his like great movies. Right. I think this is like, I mean, this movie was a like minor success. It was sandwiched in like, um, between, um, I think Havana came out the next year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think right before this must have been, uh, 
maybe out of Africa. I don't know. Like, yeah, it's, out it, of Africa was before. Yeah. M- like he was like, I'm going to take off some time from these big sweeping movies and just do like this little weird movies. Check it out guys. Um, so my five star review and you always seem to get it in there at the very tail end of our one star reviews. It's Jeremiah Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love Jeremiah Johnson. I am very aware as a human in 2018, um, that there are some problematic issues with this film that there are uh, a lot of um, the way that the indigenous people are portrayed is not particularly great or favorable. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think it's better that this movie exists and we acknowledge a time in which we did this sort of thing. Oh, for sure. Than it not existing. I don't think the movie like would benefit from them being like, and there were no native Americans. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And and, and I don't think every native character is treated unfairly, but there is like the, it is very heavy. Like, the bad guys are the natives yeah. or it's a group of them specifically. Right. right. And I think you go ahead. I'm sure we'll, um, the Jeremiah Johnson's, it, it's a long movie. It's filled with a lot of silences. It's a lot of him wandering around Utah in the snow. Mm-hmm. Essentially he is a soldier. Um, he decides to make a new life for himself in the mountains. He basically seems to not want to be bothered by anybody. Yeah. He's and, kind of like guys, I want to be alone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, he, sort of has to adopt a child um, and then through a process of events, like this is a real Cliff Note, Cliff's Notes version, but through a process of events, ends up having to marry a woman. He's given the, the daughter of a chief of an Indian tribe and uh, they don't, I mean, they don't, they can't communicate. Right. They can't communicate. Um, and he, a group of men uh, hire him so, sort of not hire him, but like they, they kind ta- of shame him into being like, um, you can't save these Americans. Yeah. Um, there, there's a, gr- a group of, of, uh, Americans who need to make it through the mountains. He tells them it's not a good idea that he would be bringing them through this specific native territory. They're not a big fan of outsiders. Um, and he eventually gets shamed into leading them through. And it's too late by the time he gets back to his house. His wife and child have been murdered. and uh, Retribution. And yeah, and it becomes this revenge tale. And he becomes so good at committing murder against these people that they they basically start to respect him. They build a monument to him. Yeah. Ain't been too lucky, huh? No. This place has been trapped out since 25. What are you doing here, then? I hunt grizz. Grizz? Grizzly bears, pilgrim. I collect the claws. I had one in that thicket back there, ready to shake hands until you come along. I'm sorry, then. That you look. <laughs> Hungry, too, huh? Come on! You know how to skin grizz? I can skin most anything. Sure are cocky for a starving pilgrim. It's a very quiet, a very still film. I think it's one of the most beautiful films, like in terms of cinematography, ever committed to motion pictures. And I think his performance is really great because it's sort of the reverse of, and I agree, I love a good sly, but he doesn't have a lot of charm to work with and a lot of it's played in the face. That's why that meme is so, and I know we're talking about the meme again, that's why that meme is so prevalent because 
he doesn't look like somebody who could pull off that smile yeah. in that movie. And then when he does, it's like, holy shit. <laughs> like there's a there's like a real human being under it's here. Sincerity. You know? Yeah. Um I don't know. I love that movie. It was my I mean, I'm a little bias it was my father's favorite movie i saw a lot growing up um but (laughs) just like jeremiah johnson on yeah (laughs) on loop in the background and uh yeah it's it's good i i love it a lot i don't know really how much more to say about it uh because like i'm not really giving anything away it's not a plot for a movie that like it's it was like a very difficult shoot i mean it looks like it was insane to shoot yeah who made the movie sydney pollack sydney pollack wow yeah you were on both sides i was on both sides i told you i normally really like his direction but again like you know this movie is an epic you know isn't there like (laughs) isn't there like a interlude in this movie yeah um, and isn't there a song? It's like Jeremiah Johnson. There is a song, and I'm glad you brought it up because I love it so much. Um, you don't really get that. You in, really don't uh, get that in, anymore. In movies. Yeah, you really don't. Um, the movie itself is 108 minutes, but it's 116 minutes with both the overture and the intermission. Yeah, I mean, the movie is like a very classic, like, I mean, literally, it sounds like the beginning of a you know, going to a Broadway show where you, there's a full overture um, and it kind of gives you like the title cards of like who the fuck this guy is or what he's trying to do. And then, you know, like everything is good. And so then there's like the, the, the break and then it's like, oh, and that's all went to shit. Um, <laughs> um, and yeah, you mentioned the shoot, like it was shot in over a hundred different locations in Utah, including, um, the Ashley National Forest, Leeds, Snow Canyon State Park, St. George, Sundance Resort, uh, Zion National Park. It's, yeah, it took seven and a half months to edit. Um, Cindy Pollack said, it's a picture that was made as much in the editing room as it was in the shooting. It was a film where you used to watch dailies and everybody would fall asleep except Bob and I because all you had were these big shots of a guy walking his horse through the snow. You didn't see a strong narrative line. It's a picture made out of rhythms, moods, and wonderful performances. I don't dislike the film. I just think it's like, it's certainly not for my type of people. Um, (laughs) And whereas to say like, you know, if you are, uh, it's like you said, it's not plot forward. Um, And there's certainly, you're like, huh, that woman's just giving her kid away. Okay, cool. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's definitely moments where you're like, what am I watching? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I kind of like that. and it, But not in the way that you get with Downhill Racer, where mm. I feel like Downhill Racer like goes out of its way to alienate you, and this movie is really yeah. sticks to it. Downhill Racer yeah. was very, like, um, he, I mean, he plays kind of an asshole in that movie, you know? Yeah. He's very cocky um, and a not cool person. Um, were there any other movies that you particularly love? I mean, there's, there yeah, is a lot. the classics, and, uh, you know, The Sting... And the Sting is so fun. Yeah, it's so have, much fun. If you haven't seen the Sting, like please, like again, uh, it, him and Paul Newman are very funny. Um, the mo- uh, like if you you will never see funnier like bandits, like w- them sticking up that same guy who has the train, and he's like, guys, like I just really can't, my boss, and he's like, it's it's really really funny. Um, I mean, Sundance, uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid is very Yeah, good. we talked about that earlier. I finally, to shock, to the shock of millions, mm-hmm. I had never seen The Way We Were. That movie is Ugh. a fucking masterpiece. Ugh. We don't have free speech in this country. We never will have. We never will if people aren't willing to take a stand for what's right. We never will have because people are scared. This isn't college. 
This is grown-up politics, Katie. Then it's stupid and dangerous. What are you telling me to do? Sit by and shut up just because it's dangerous? I'm telling you it's a waste. That's what I'm telling you. And that those men and their families are only going to get hurt. And that nothing is going to change. Nothing. And after jail, after five or six years of bad blood, when it's practical for some fascist producer to hire some communist writer to save his ass because his hit movie's in trouble, he'll do it. They'll both do it. They'll make movies. They'll have dinner. They'll play tennis. They'll make passes at each other's wives. Now, what in the hell did anybody ever go to jail for? For what? A political spat? Hubble, you are telling me to close my eyes and to watch people being destroyed so that you can go on working. Working in a town that doesn't have spine enough to stand up for anything but making a blessed buck. I'm telling you that people, people are more important than any goddamn witch hunt. You and me. Not causes, not principles. Hubble, people are their principles. Real quick, another one I wanted to mention, I doubt you saw it, uh, just because it was a little hard to find, but uh, Little Faust and Big Halsey. I did not watch it. Uh, I think it is, I don't love the movie necessarily, but I think it is hands down one of Robert Redford's best performances. This was truly the first time he plays a villain. Mm -hmm. He's a motorcycle racer who's a shitty human being, and he like basically attaches himself to Michael J. Pollard, who plays a really good motorcyclist. And they uh, sort of, he starts racing for Pollard, under Pollard's name. But also at the same time, like, they're they're womanizing, they're getting drunk, and they pick up Lauren Hutton, and he knocks up Lauren Hutton. He tries to, like, send her away with Pollard, like, to get rid of her. And he's just scum of the earth in this movie. Like, it's the, it's the meanest I've ever seen him play. Every time out comes some trophy chick who thinks she's Anne Marvin. <laughs> Wow, I never said I was any Anne These hands have held the boobs of more top flight actresses and trophy girls. Well, I'm not any trophy girl. Now, come on. Please. You got them all beat, my dear. <laughs> By a mile. You. Two miles. <laughs> yeah, but you know they don't have trophy girls at Desert Enduro. Yeah, cheap bastards. All this racing, no ass. Would you please take your hands off my things? Some people really don't know how to take a compliment. I thank you, but my gosh, I mean, there's a lot of people here, and it's kind of embarrassing. Look and everything. Why? When he was making All the President's Men, um, he told the director, Alan J. Pakula, that because um, the, the movie had, had um, it was, he said it was the best script he'd ever read, and he wanted to make the movie so bad. And then when he saw the movie, he hated his performance, and he hated the movie. Um, and at the time, three years later, during All the President's Men, it finally started airing on television. And um, he told Alan J. Bakula that he resented its television broadcast because after years of successful films, he was less than enthusiastic about Little Falls and Big Halsey, which he considered a stain on his filmography. Wow. Pakula told Redford that the film showcases one of the best performances the star has ever given, stating that his performance in it was the last unself-conscious revelation of the actor's real-life edge. Hmm. And it's wow. uh, Redford's son Jamie's favorite film. Wow. Yeah. That's, like, kind of aggressive. Yeah. Being like, all these other things you've made hasn't been as good as yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Your ego's too much in the way. Right. Um, no, I think I think it's a good movie if you can find it. It's a little hard to find. It only came out on DVD a couple years ago. There were rumors Robert Redford himself was suppressing it, but that would mean that the studio would be like, we're not interested in making money. Go ahead, Robert. Right, right. Oh. Redford's paying them. Yeah. Um, we briefly mentioned Sneakers. Sneakers yeah. is very fun. Oh, very I love good. Sneakers. Yeah, yeah. If you want another rom-com that I think is very good. I mean, Barefoot in the Park we mentioned. Barefoot, yep. Um, 
also oozing charm. Um, the thing about Robert Redford is he's he's been in every yeah. type of movie out there. Um, All is Lost, which I also read, he lost hearing making that movie because it was yeah. so aggressive. And I I saw him. I saw that at New York Film Festival the year it came out, and I saw the press conference that he him and J C Chandar gave. I don't love that movie, but I like his performance a lot. Let's do our mixed reviews review. Reviews. My five star review was 1972's Jeremiah Johnson. Mine was 1986's Legal Eagles. And my one-star review was 1990's Havana. Mine was 2015's Line for Lambs. All right, Louis, let's go into our fast-forward. Like we mentioned, he's currently has a movie out called The Old Man and the Gun. Which I believe is expanding this weekend, but has been out here for a couple weeks. Um, And But also, he's been putting out these small, weird, independent movies on Netflix um, and beyond. I mean, A Walk in the Woods was a couple years ago, right? Um, and I really just love that he's, like, just still trucking along making weird, independent movies. I did go see Old Man and the Gun. I went and saw it alone, and I went and saw it opening night, which means I got to do the test marketing, which was fun. Wow. Um, and I really liked it. It's like a... It's a fun, harmless movie as as a way to like end his career. Um, I think it's a it's a good high note. I don't think it's a perfect film. Unfortunately, David Lowry is still heart set on working with Casey Affleck, and yeah. he's the worst part about the movie. Which is not to say his performance is bad, but I'm just in the current atmosphere, having a hard time separating him mm-hmm. from himself. Uh, but uh, Sissy Spacex really fucking good in this movie. Queen. So so good. On top of that. They're not really in the advertisements, but his bank robbing partners are Danny Glover and Tom fucking Waits. And Tom Waits, I don't think Tom Waits had any written dialogue in the film. I think they just let him say whatever he wanted. I beamed throughout this movie. It's, I don't think it's a a masterpiece by any means, but I think David Lowry's a great filmmaker and I, and I, you know, I'm glad he did this for Robert Redford and with Robert Redford, um, but yeah, it's a very sweet film, and and I, Sissy Spacek once again, I I don't know, I can't say enough about all three of those Tom Waits, Sissy Spacek, um, Robert Redford, and Danny Glover actually too. Like those performances are are so good in the movie. No, I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> I didn't think so. Not because I can't. <laughs> because it's just not my style. Not your style. Mm-mm. You have style. I do. Well, uh, tell me what that is then. My style. Yeah. Okay, well, let's take this place. This place is not my style. I'd say it was a bank. And instead of that counter up there, that was really a teller's window. And that lady standing there was the teller behind the window. And you just walk in, real calm, and you find yourself a spot, and you sit down, just like we're sitting here. And you wait, and you watch. And that may take a couple of hours, might take a couple of days even, but you wait. It's got to feel right. The timing has to feel right. And when it does feel right, you make your move. So you walk right up, look her in the eye, and you say, ma'am, this is a robbery. And you show her the gun like this. Also, just the, I know the technical stuff doesn't always entertain everybody. I thought the film was so interestingly edited. Um, I cannot remember her name off the top of my head, but I stayed through the credits to look at the editor's name. The editor's name is Lisa Zeno Churgan. I'm unfamiliar with her work outside of this movie, but I just thought, I don't know, I, as an editor myself, I was 
People say the best editing is the editing you don't notice. That's not always true. It was clearly shot actually on film. I would say it's probably shot on 16 and blown up to 35. And this may be the end of Robert Redford's acting career. And maybe so there's not really much more to talk about. Yeah, maybe it won't. Maybe it will. Was there anything that you wanted for him as an actor or no, didn't, didn't think I, get? I think, you know, I just, he's cemented his legacy, not just as an actor, but like as an institution in Hollywood and like with Sundance by itself, like it is perhaps the premier, right. you know, um, American film festival. And, I think that, you know, there are a lot of great actors out there. I don't know if Robert Redford is, like, the very best actor ever, but I think his influence and his legacy is just so profound. Um, and all I could ask for is for him to keep continuing on, you know, doing what he's doing and, right. and ensuring that after he's long gone that it continues and the Sundance Institute keeps helping filmmakers get weird and interesting movies made um I think that's I I really have nothing to add to that I think that's all right you know if if he becomes you know sort of just a, a figurehead that would be sad if like yeah. if he wasn't right involved in this sort of the in the way that he is then yeah, yeah. I yeah, I don't want him to like fade into no, the distance. No, I mean, not. if he doesn't continue to act, then I would still love for him to be involved in the film and at, in any way that he sees fit. You know, totally. So. And because he's clearly proficient. Like, yeah, God, I, uh, the only movie that I watched that he had directed was Ordinary People, but I was like, well, that if that was his first one. Yeah. Well, I will. I will say this: uh, Quiz Show is a masterpiece as well. Um, he's not in that movie, but he directed it, and uh, yeah, and I mean, we clearly didn't really talk about it, but the yeah, I I love I love that film. So it's a little long, but it's not everything. Um, <laughs> is it but, life? Yeah, no, life's a little short. That's the problem. But uh, but yeah, so awesome. I guess that's it uh, for Robert Redford. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your service, Robert. Thank you, Daddy Redford. Yeah. Um. Oh, speaking of Daddy Redford, Little Foss and Big Halsey. Also, if you do see it, he spends. I want to say. 75% of that movie shirtless and this is 1970 oh, Robert Redford like prime prime, prime. and like hairy chested yeah. like yeah lots of that also in Legal Eagles yeah yeah I have to say yeah so just if that's where you're looking for Redford yes there he is we got you covered um but yes where can you find us online that's a good question Louie <laughs> <laughs> you can find us so many places, Gavin. That's true. You can tweet at us at, at the Mixed Reviews on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Just type in the Mixed Reviews. Uh, you can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. And you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeart, whatever. Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the list goes on and on. Spotify is a good one. Spotify here is this up-and-coming company where you mm. can stream music. Wow. Crazy. What I know. Do think, right. What do they think of next? If you're a listener on Stitcher or iTunes, please feel free to rate and review us. Hopefully a good review. Please. Feel free to do it. We're allowing yeah, you. Yeah. We'll yeah, let you. Yeah, we'll, we'll let it go. Um, and, uh, and we really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, we love having feedback. Uh, somebody left us a message on our Facebook page asking us if we do Matt Dillon soon. Mm, so, Matt Dillon yeah, soon. Yeah, so we will look into that. We have a lot of like episodes. suggestions yeah, piling I, up. I like suggestions. So Yeah, we've, yeah. Got, we've got a few to get through. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for listening and we'll be back in two weeks. See you then, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. A feeling like spring 